0: What's up, Northview? How's everybody doing? You doing good? Want to welcome all the campuses. I was going to mention them all, and then I found out you guys have like 50 campuses, and I decided it was just too many to actually announce. But I just wanted to say how great it is to be with you today. I thought I was coming from North Carolina, Raleigh-Durham-Chapel Hill area, to share my story with you today. But I must say that I actually think I came to experience the power of baptisms. Was that not incredible? Can we just celebrate and honor them one more time? Un. Believable. I am so honored and thankful to be here with you. Uh, your reputation goes before you. You are a leading church in this nation, and uh, it's just a thrill and an honor to be with you. I think the world of your pastor, as I know you do, Pastor Steve, and I just honor him today and thank you for having me, brothers. So good to be here with you. Um. I'm going to share with you today my story. And I'm doing that because, um, well, <laughs> primarily Pastor Steve asked me to, um, but, but also because it's perfect to go along with the power of baptisms. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but in Luke chapter 15, which we're going to look at in just a moment, it, scholars call it the gospel within the gospel. And in Luke chapter 15, we, we learn about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And in all three of those instances, Jesus says, as he tells this parable, Jesus says, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons. And you are looking at someone today who was way out in the far country I was a modern-day prodigal. It's what this second book is all about, Wrecked and Redeemed, and I'm going to dip my toe a little bit in it today, but I would love to meet you later and uh, talk to you more about that if you would like, or the campuses, you can find out how you can get one of those books as well. But I remember when I was in the process of being ordained, and I remember going through the grueling process of answering Hard theological questions and questions about church history and questions about ethics. And when I got to the end of the process, an elderly ordained pastor with woolly gray hair, if you will, leaned forward and he said, Kelly, that's my last name. He said, Kelly, you obviously know these questions. But what I want to know is, I want to know your story. Tell me how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And what I shared with him that day is what I'm going to share with you today. Because when I got finished sharing it to that board of ordination that day, that elderly, seasoned, gray-haired pastor said, whatever you do, don't ever stop telling that story. Because you see, my story is a lot like some of your stories. And it's a lot like the baptism stories that we've seen today. It's a story about a broken, messed up, sin-scarred individual. A prodigal who was hell bound and only by the grace of God have I experienced redemption. I hope my story encourages you today. I hope it challenges some of you. Maybe you're here today, and you're not even sure if you have an authentic, real relationship with Jesus. There's something in this parable for you. Or you might be here, and you might be one of those who grew up in the church. And your tendency is not not to connect in solidarity with the prodigal son, but maybe you have a tendency to be like the elderly brother. Remember him? I believe the parable can be called... The parable of the prodigal son, it can also be called the parable of the elder brother. And what do you say we just dig into this today? If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 15 or your phones or your tablets or whatever the case may be, Luke chapter 15. I know that uh, you might not talk back to me that much at Northview. I come from a church, I just want to let you know, I come from a church where people talk back to me. They talk back to me, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything you don't want to do. I'm going to respect your culture here, but let's, let, let's dip our toe in this a little bit. Let's try this. If you love the word of the Lord, let me hear an amen. amen. Hey, hey, all right. I love it. I, love, I think we can work together. Luke chapter 15. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <Now, laughs> You you know the the passage of Luke chapter 15. Like I said, it follows the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep. And and then Jesus tells the parable of the lost son. And the central message in all three of those parables, again, often referred to as the gospel within the gospel. The central message is that which was lost demanded an all-out search until it was found. And in Luke chapter 15, verses 21 through 31, you know the story. And the problem with knowing a story as well as we know this story is that the familiarity of the text can actually work against us. So why don't we pray right now before we get into the word and ask God to speak to our hearts. Will you pray with me? Father, take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and fill with them. Lord Jesus, take my lips and speak through them today. For if you do not speak, then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the prodigal comes to the dad one day and he says, Hey, dad, I have an idea. Why don't you go ahead and give me my inheritance? Now, in that culture, I guess a lot like it would be today if you said that to your dad. Particularly in that culture, you were basically saying, Hey, Dad, why don't you act as if you were dead? Go ahead and give me my inheritance. The boy takes it. He goes out in the far country, wild. And and as the old King Jimmy used to say, the King James Version, riotous living. But we pick up in verse 21. As the son gets to his wits end, he's, he's at rock bottom. He comes back to the father. The word of the Lord says, As the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the party, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants. And he asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. Imagine that. And refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate And be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is what church? Alive again. He was what? And he is found. My story is one of great lostness and brokenness. I was born... In Sumter, South Carolina, do we have any South Carolina people in the house? Just curious. One, two, <clears throat> kind of what I expected. I met a staff person earlier. He's from, he's from a, a Florence area, so that's three, praise God. I was born and raised in Sumter, South Carolina. Grew up in a, in a very southern culture of hunting and sports. My dad coached uh, us in baseball basketball and football. It was a a normal home, if you will, just uh, on face value, whatever that means anymore. What does normal mean anymore, right, in the home? But we had a pretty normal upbringing in the South. But the, the difference between maybe my story and maybe your story is we didn't grow up in the church. I never grew up hearing about God. I never learned about the gospel of Jesus Christ it's not like we were de-churched or unchurched, turned off by the church. We were never churched. At the age of 12 years old, I went to the Little League World Series and went to the championship game. We lost that game. I pitched in that game. We lost that game. And I'll never forget it. It, it broke my heart. And I don't know if there's any connection with what I'm about to say, but, but at the age of 11, going on 12, with that loss came a lot of losses in my life, and I started to make a a bunch of bad decisions. By the time I was in the sixth grade, I was doing drugs. I know, hard to imagine, some of you have kids, and, and, and I do too, and I just cannot imagine me doing that at that age. By the time I was in the seventh grade, I was doing LSD, I was doing large amounts of cocaine, and I was um, just heading in the wrong direction with the wrong group of people. By the time I was in the ninth grade, I started doing the drug that really about took my life on many, many occasions. I was smoking crack cocaine. By the time I hit the ninth grade and the 10th grade, I'm so embarrassed. Even today, I feel shame when I stand up here and share this with you, but by the time I was in the ninth and 10th grade, I was intravenously injecting heroin and cocaine into my body. When 10th grade rolled around, I had started selling drugs, and I was selling pounds of of pot a week just to support my crack and cocaine and heroin addict. I, I had gone from taking drugs to feel euphoria to taking drugs to feel normal. I was a high school dropout by the time I got to the end of my 10th grade year. I moved away from my home and was living in a trailer park with a bunch of guys. We were in a gang. We fought all the time. I even had memories today as I flew here early this morning, memories that I haven't thought about in a long time and don't even know that I've ever really shared it in my testimony as I've shared my testimony now probably a hundred plus times. I don't think I've ever shared this. I I remember breaking into homes. Again, a lot of just shame even sharing this with you. Breaking into homes and destroying people's homes when they weren't there and taking everything I could out of their home, going and selling it in different towns and cities in South Carolina so that I could just support this addiction that was out of control. My life consisted of fighting, fighting myself, I didn't know it back then, fighting God, Bottom line, I was a modern-day prodigal son. I was a sin-scarred, broken, angry, hell-bound prodigal who had no idea that there was a God who loved me. Had no idea that there was a God who sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a blood-stained cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Had no idea there was this thing called church where you could have community and family and love. And by the time I was supposed to be in the 11th grade, going towards my senior year, September 23rd is when it all started to crumble down. September 23rd, I had been up for like 48 hours straight, no sleep had been doing this terrible cocktail of cocaine and heroin, pulled into the parking lot of a Burger King in Sumter, South Carolina, went into the stall of the bathroom where I injected another hit, if you will, of this deadly cocktail, and I overdosed. I don't remember much of what I'm about to tell you. The police report told me about it later, but I do remember bits and pieces. As I'm overdosing in the stall of the Burger King parking lot, I remember falling in the stall and face-planting in the stall. I remember trying to crawl out of the stall, and I finally got to the door where I think I stood up and and made it to my car, which, by the way, was a 1968 pearl-white Mustang, and it was awesome just saying the awesome car was about to be destroyed I jumped in the car and I'm coming in and out of this overdose and this had happened to me a few times before but I really thought this was the end of the road for me and so I got in my car and I tried to drive out of the parking lot so I went around the back by the drive through and I I hit an elderly couple so terrible um now realize, as I just said that, you, you might have thought that I hit, I hit their car. Just for the sake of truthfulness. I didn't hit them, thanks be to God, right? But I, the way that just came out, I think you were thinking, I, I hit them. <laughs> I hit their car. They got out of their car, and the, the elderly gentleman came to my side of the car to try to get the keys out. He was trying to stop me. He knew something was wrong. I spun out of there, hit Broad Street, which I know means nothing to you folks in Indianapolis here or wherever you're watching this. But I hit Broad Street, which was the main thoroughfare through Sumter, South Carolina. Went down to the next intersection, ran a a red light, and had a massive collision there in that intersection. Took a right um, and turned and went about another half a mile. My car was barely able to drive at this point in time, but I didn't know any better. I was driving it. Got into another accident, hit a car head on. You, you can look at pictures of that 1968 pearl white, awesome Mustang. And it's absolutely a miracle that anybody walked out of it. Would have continued on, but my car wouldn't go any further. And so I get out of the car and I'm face planting again right in the middle of this boulevard Cops come flying by going to the first hit and run and, and notice there I am. So they, they surround my car. They handcuff me. They throw me in the back seat of this police car and I'm watching them pull out pounds of marijuana and put them on the hood of my car and, and heroin and cocaine and syringes and, and I think I'm done and I decide that I'm gonna run and so I... With handcuffs on in the back of the car, I unlock the car and I get out and I take off running and they chase me through a field and over a fence. Finally caught me, roughed me up a little bit, put me in the back of the police car and this time they, they put this big burly police officer beside me, I wasn't going anywhere this time. And there I was make a long story short the yogurt had hit the fan and i was done i was put in jail this was the sixth time i had been arrested in 7 years and nobody was going to get me out this time i was facing possession of marijuana possession of cocaine possession of heroin three hit and runs, resisting arrest. Oh, get you some of this. Changing lanes unlawfully. (laughs) Really? (laughs) They were going to throw the book at me, and they should. And so I went, and there I sat in a small jail cell. It was probably just about the size of this little area right here maybe six by eight. My friends weren't gonna get me out. I was facing a $10,000 bond. I was facing 10 years in the state penitentiary and I was stuck. And I was at the lowest point of my life. Almost died in jail, wanted to die. But God, everybody say, but God. I was just in Pastor Steve's office, and there was a mug on the desk, and it, it it said "But God." And I thought, there it is, "But God." A man came by my jail cell. He was the chaplain, Chaplain Ray Jones, and Chaplain Jones gave me my first Bible ever. I still have it to this day. It was red leather Bible, red word, red uh, red word version. The words of Jesus were in red, and he gave me the Bible. I didn't know I didn't know anything about the Bible. I said, "Where do I begin?" He put me on the gospel of John. I read John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I read John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then he'd come by on a regular basis. I said, what next? He sent me to the gospel of Luke. I read things like Luke nineteen ten. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Got finished with that. I said, now what? He said, Romans. I read the book of Romans. And I sat there day after day after day just reading the Bible. And then one day he came to my jail cell. He knew that my court date was the following Friday. And he said, I want to ask you to do something, and I want to ask you if you want to do something. I said, okay. He goes, I want to ask you to get a haircut. (laughs) I had hair down to my... Rear in, and it's different today. Everybody wears tats. I mean, everybody has tats, and everybody has long hair. So not a bad thing. But back then, if you had long hair, you were looked bad upon. You know what I'm saying. Um, and so he said, you need to go get a haircut. I said, where? He goes, there's a jail barber. I didn't know of such a thing. So I went to a jail barber. It was a bowl cut, a legit bowl cut. <laughs> Can you say ugly? Got, <laughs> got my hair cut. And, and, and he goes, I want you to, I want to ask you to get a haircut. Then he, then he said, I want to ask you if you want to do something. I said, what's that? He goes, do you want to become a Christian? I had no idea what that meant. All I knew is I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. All I knew was that I'd been trying to fill this void, this God-shaped void, this vacuum inside my soul with all the things of this world, and they were empty, and they were found wanting, and I was, I was death warmed over already. And I said, yes. And he says, well, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to get down on your knees. And so I got down on my knees in this little six by six or six by eight jail cell and he got down on his knees beside me, and we leaned up against this, this steel bed frame that was right beside this steel toilet that had the sink on top of the toilet. And he said, just, just pray after me. And, and he prayed what has been called the sinner's prayer. I don't remember the exact words, but he would pray a little bit, and I would pray a little bit, and he'd pray a little bit, and I would pray a little bit. And I can't fully explain it to you, even after all these years, but all I can tell you is that when I said amen, and I got up, God started to change this old boy from the inside out. Come on. Come on. Praise God, right? And... and I still woke up for, for many months. I stayed there. I still woke up for many months in a cold sweat, craving some of those drugs. It's not like, you know, I started to hear the hallelujah chorus in the jail cell and everything. No, no, no. It was still messy. But all I know is that for the first time in my life, I experienced the love of God. For the first time in my life, I experienced what it felt like to have all my sins forgiven. For the first time in my life, I felt like I had a purpose. Long story short, I stayed there a little while, went before the judge, facing those 10 years in the state penitentiary. I asked for grace. I didn't have an attorney. He said, boy, where's your attorney? I said, I don't have one. I said, but I want to talk to you. He said, what do you want to say? I said, well, I just accepted Christ in a jail cell. And he goes, I said, God's starting to change my life. You know what that old judge said? He said, boy, if I could tell you all the time, people come before me having found Jesus. He said, it'd blow your mind. He said, I sentence you to 10 years in the state penitentiary. And it seemed like eternity hung in the balance, just like that silence right there. He said, but I suspend that sentence based upon three years of probation and you go into a drug rehabilitation center. Long, long story short, I'm gonna make it super short from here on out. Basically, I got back into high school, graduated, two years late, I I was that 20 year old in high school graduating, you know what I'm saying, I was that dude, got into the University of South Carolina on academic probation, because I worked really, really hard, but I did finally get into the University of South Carolina, declared my first major, check this out, my first major in college was pharmacy. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Like, really? I don't know what I was thinking, I guess subconsciously I thought I had dealt drugs plenty, long enough, illegally, it was time to prescribe some legally, you know what I'm saying? Did that for a couple of years, made it into pharmacy school and was traveling around the state of South Carolina on a weekly basis, sharing my testimony in high schools and churches and auditoriums. I didn't care what I'd get. I didn't care who I was speaking to. If God opened up a door, I said, God, I'll go speak for you. One day I spoke at a church and they gathered around me after I spoke. They said, we want you to be our student pastor. I was like, I'm in pharmacy school. They gave me the salary. I was like, okay, it'll help me get through pharmacy school. It was totally, totally secular in my thinking. I was just thinking money for pharmacy school. But I got in that church, and within a few months, the pastor of that church asked me to preach on a Sunday morning. And I preached for the first time, and I can't explain it. All I know is that the moment I stood up there that day to preach, I knew that I was going to spend the rest of my life preaching this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So on that Monday, I went to meet with the the dean of the pharmacy program, told him I was pulling out of pharmacy school, told him I was going into the ministry. Worked hard, got into Duke, went to Duke in 1994. Got my first master's there between 94 and 97. 97 and 2000, got my second master's. They offered me a scholarship to stay on and do a second one. Then I went and did my doctoral work up at Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky. And then I started New Hope Church in 2002. And I don't tell you any of that. If you hear anything today, please hear this. I don't tell you any of that to focus any of the attention on me. I tell you that to demonstrate how God can take a dead man walking and give him new hope. I tell you that story to point out that God can take a juvenile delinquent in and out of jails in the state of South Carolina and transform him into a grown man, a husband of one, a father of five, a preacher to anyone who will listen to the greatest story ever told. Yes, I just said I have five children. Some of you are like, really? People ask me all the time, Pastor, y'all know what causes that? Yes, we just haven't been willing to give it up. I don't tell you any of that to put any of the focus on me. I tell you that story to remind you that God, but God, but God God can take a drug addict and fix his deepest yearnings of his soul, not with drugs, but with a living relationship with Jesus Christ. I tell you that story to demonstrate firsthand how God can take a high school dropout who was overdosing on drugs and by the grace of Jesus Christ, use him to bless people with the best news the world has ever known. That God loves everyone and God will redeem you. It doesn't matter how wrecked your life is. That's why I called the book. That's why I titled the book Wrecked and Redeemed. Because it doesn't matter what you come here today with wherever you are at any of our campuses or maybe you're watching this online. You see, the truth is we all have wreckage in our lives. We all have brokenness in our lives. And you might be here today and you might be a prodigal in some ways or you might be here today and you might suffer like the elderly brother. This passage offers grace And goodness and mercy and compassion to every single person, regardless of where you are today. So hear me out, beautiful people of Northview. Ours is a God that can redeem any and every area of your life if you will give it to him today. You see, the prodigal son was way out there in the far country. He had to reach a point where he turned toward the father. But when he turned toward the father, it was there that he found compassion. It was there that he found grace. It was there that he found forgiveness. Listen, the world is changing at a Mach 5 speed. Have you noticed this? I mean, guys, think about this. We're now going to space. I know you saw this. We're going to space in 10-plus minutes and back. Everything's changing. But I flew into Indianapolis to remind you that God is still the same. He was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he is still a good and faithful and powerful God in the midst of all of our change. Paul would say it like this in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through who? Through him, through Jesus And for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, everybody say everything. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have what? All his fullness dwell in him and through him to do what? To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making, what's that word right there? Peace. By making peace through his what? Blood shed on the cross. Let's continue. One more? Yeah, you go. <laughs> Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, everybody say, but now. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish. Just, just let that wash over you. Like you're here today. Some of, you, some of you are here today. You might feel guilty. Listen, God wants you to leave today without blemish and free from accusation. There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature. Now watch this. Under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. If you were to look in this Bible or any of the other Bibles that I tend to read in different places, I have them in my house and in my office and in my study. Whenever I get to this text in my Bible, I scratch out the word Paul. I just take a pen and I just mark it out and I write Benji. And I wanna invite you to do the same. This is the gospel under heaven and of which I sue, and which I, John, of which I, Peter, which I, Benjamin, which I, Steve, have become a servant. So I wonder today where you might find yourself in this parable. One of my homiletical professors at Duke used to say the the power of every parable is that you, you find yourself in the parable. That's why Jesus taught in parables. Where where are you in the parable? Might you be the prodigal son today? You've been wandering in the wilderness in some area of your life. Maybe, Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you did know Christ, but you kind of turned away from Christ, and you're coming back out of this dark season that we've all experienced. Or maybe you're like the elderly son, and you judge people, and you... You're kind of pharisaical. You you don't like the grace of God to be poured out on wretches like me. Where are you in that? Because again, it doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum, the truth is we are all on level ground. And the ground at the foot of the cross, come on church, is always level. We stand on even level ground at the foot of the cross and every single one of us, we have junk in our trunk. And the power of Luke chapter 15 is that God wants to meet us right there today. One story and I'm done. Been about eight or nine years ago, I got, I got all my kids. I got them in the minivan. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it's not my minivan. It's... My wife's minivan, but I you know, I was driving the minivan that day. She she was out of town, and so what, what do what do dads do when they have all their kids and moms are away? Well, a couple of things. We normally eat a bunch of food we shouldn't eat, um, but then we like to do movies. And so uh, I pulled up. I pulled up to the movie theater. It was raining, pouring down rain. I pulled up. I pulled up in the in the minivan and opened up. There was a Honda Odyssey. I just pushed the button so that the door opened up on the minivan, and. Um, they all got out, and I gave them my credit card, right? I gave my oldest boy my credit card, and I said, hey, hey, six tickets, six tickets, five kids, one adult. And they jump out. I said, hey, Benjamin, five kids, one adult. And they all take out. Josh, my youngest, stays in the minivan with me because he's young, right? So they, they take out. They go to buy the tickets. He's, he's running off. I go, Benjamin, don't, don't forget, one adult, Five kids. And so then Josh and I went and part. And so I, I, I grabbed Josh and I pick him up. And, and back in those days, Josh had a little stuttering problem. And, and as cute as he could be, he's overcome it now. But my youngest had a little stuttering problem. And I'm just hustling, you know, I'm trying to get the stuff. And I'm grabbing him. All the other ones, they already in there. They bought the tickets. So I grabbed Josh and trying to close the, the door and it's raining. And Josh is trying to get my attention. He goes, dad, 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 dad. dad. I said, yeah, Josh, what's up? We got to go. What's up? What's up, man? Dad. How, how do you know how many kids you have? <laughs> I, was, I just hugged him. I said, "Josh, I said, man, I'm, I'm your dad." How he said he asked it a second time. Yeah, but but how how do you know? I mean, he heard me tell them how many, t- and in his little mind, it just amazed him that I knew. <laughs> I know, but I'm carrying him up to the theater in the rain and, and the Lord spoke to me, spoke to my heart and it's as if I heard the Lord say, see, I'm like that. In, in the same way that it blows little Joshua's mind that you, you know all your kids intimately and you know how many you have and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I'm the heavenly father of the world. And I know all my kids and I love them intimately. I know them by name. The Bible says that he formed you and he formed me and he formed everyone in their mother's womb. The Bible tells us that he knows the number of hairs on our head and the Lord said, I know my kids like that. Why do I tell that story? because it doesn't matter where you are today, what level you're sitting on, what campus you're sitting on, whether you're out somewhere in the public watching it on your phone or or you're in your house watching it on a computer, it doesn't matter, you are God's kid. You are a child of the Most High God and He loves you and He wants to redeem whatever wreckage is in your life. And so I'm just wondering today if we can just pray and wrap up and we all do business with a very gracious, loving God. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, I wanna thank you for these beautiful people. I wanna thank you, God, for what you're doing in the life of this church. It is so evident that your hand of favor is on Northview. But, Father, right now, we want to strip it all away. And we want to fix our focus on you, Lord Jesus. And, God, the truth is, every single one of us, we fall somewhere on that spectrum between being a prodigal who's out in the far country... And being an elderly brother who has unfortunately grown pharisaical, judgmental, religious. And Father, I want to pray on behalf of this beautiful church that you meet us wherever we are. If you're over here living like the elderly brother and you have a hard time and you judge people. I want to invite you in this moment to just say, Lord, soften my heart. God, help me join the parties of salvation. Help me never believe that anyone is beyond the reach of Jesus. Give me eyes of faith. Give me a heart that that beats for the things that your heart is compassionate about. So, Father, I return as an elderly brother or an elderly sister, I return to join the party and celebrate and dance in the beauty of grace. Just turn your heart toward him in this moment. Say, Father, receive me. I'm sorry. Make me new inside. But maybe you're over here and you are like me. You have tendencies to wander in the far country as a prodigal. And maybe the truth is today you you don't even know if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know if you died today whether you would face eternity with God in a place called heaven or whether you would spend eternity in a Christless place called hell and maybe you're here and you desire to come into a life-saving sin-forgiving relationship with Jesus Christ and allow him to redeem your past and give you hope and purpose for the future if you desire to enter into that relationship if you desire today to have your sins forgiven to be adopted as a child of the most high God. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, would you do me a favor? Would you just lift your hand right where you are right now? Just lift it up. Yeah. Praise God. Lift it up high. I want to see. I see you guys up here too. Hold them up high. Keep them up. I'm sure there are hands at the campuses. Praise God. Yeah. Wow. Just hold them up and just, just say this prayer with me in your spirit. Say, Lord Jesus, I receive you today. I'm a sinner and I need you to be my savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Come into my life. Help me follow you all the days of my life to the glory and honor of your son, Jesus. And I pray it in his mighty and matchless name. And all of those who love the Lord said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for having me, Northview.